0: you are listening to the evolution exchange nhs podcast we shine a light on the topics that matter to digital and data leaders in the nhs i'm alex and i help connect digital leaders in the nhs with interim talent and i'm your host the views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position or policy of their organization okay so um First on my screen is actually Stephen. Stephen, do you want to give us a brief intro um, to, to your position within the NHS?
1: Um,
2: yeah, sure. So I'm Stephen East. I'm a Chief Technical Architect uh, currently, and I work for Lewisham and Greenwich Hospital, and I also work for Southeast London ICS. Um, I primarily at the moment responsible for the sort of the acute and community EPR within Lewisham and Greenwich Trust. Um, and I also responsible for the development um, of the shared care record, so the London care record within South East London. Um, and I also lead on the population health programme uh, within the borough of Lewisham as well. Amazing. Perfect. rumiko
3: Yes, um, so hi, my name is Ramiko. I'm the Assistant Director of Business Intelligence at Epson St. Helier Hospital Trust. Um, I manage a, a team of analysts and BI um, developers and EQ professionals. Um, as part of group digital division, as we have been in a group structure with St George's since uh, February, um, our BI team come under the digital division of the group and um, I also uh, recently been appointed to the um, Southwest London lead for AFA London region. So I'm working with my colleagues to uh, raise the awareness of of the group and networking opportunities across Southwest London.
4: Amazing perfect Uh, Chris do you want to go next? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Christopher Pryor. I am an analytical program director at NHS LPP, or should I should say outgoing analytical program director. So what I've been doing there is the rollout of um, the Atomacy procurement system across the vast majority of London NHS provider organisations. Uh, been dealing with uh, setting up LPP's uh, new consulting arm and uh, delivery of the um, national PTOM program in terms of uh, doing that assurance piece around uh, checking um, ICB's uh, readiness for um, taking on their procurement roles uh, from the 1st of July. Amazing. Perfect. Amina.
1: Hi, everyone. So my name is Amina Tabassoum, and I'm the head of Data Quality Assurance at London Ambulance Service. So I lead a team that provides overall data quality oversight across the organization. So what we do, we ensure data and information used by the trust to inform performance and make decisions are of good quality. So how do you do that? We do this by carrying out data quality reviews to assess data, we drive improvements by identifying any issues, developing recommendations to resolve those issues, monitor actions to implement those recommendations, and I also provide guidance and training on data quality. So I've been doing this role for three years and previously I worked in a local authority for. 12 years and I started my career uh, in private sector, but I've got a a background in um, a degree in maths and computer science. So in terms of what I'm passionate about, as my background and experience suggests, I'm passionate about data to be more specific, how data is used to make informed decision to to achieve better outcome. So in my current role, which is to achieve improved patient outcome.
0: Amazing. Perfect. Uh, I think it's best if we start with your question, Amina. So if you want to address the questions to the panel and then we'll, uh, we'll start going around.
1: Okay. So my question is very basic and very high level. What is why data what, uh, Why is data quality important in the NHS and what are the ways we can improve it in healthcare? So okay. I'll start with why is data quality important in NHS? We all know that we have vast amount of data that we collect on a regular basis. Uh, Data is collected in every step of a patient's journey, whether they call 111 or 999, whether uh, a paramedics visit a patient, uh, data is collected at GP surgery, in hospitals, um, in test labs. So millions of data fields are collected every day. All this data can be transformed into information and then to insight and then to knowledge, which can help organizations to make informed decisions, both strategically and operationally. So high quality data leads to high quality decision. And then that is used for monitoring performance, planning services, informed policies, and undertaking research. So for NHS and healthcare organizations, All of these are extremely important, and this will impact patient care and outcome directly. So that's why it is so important to have good data quality in NHS.
0: Amazing. Rumiiko, what do you think are your thoughts around why data quality is important?
1: Well, data quality is
3: key to everything, including um, all the reports that we produce as a BI team. But that leads to the decision-making process. Um, for our frontline colleagues and and clients and users of the the service. So it's critical to have the data quality uh, right at the start of it, at the the front of it. And um, it's everyone's business. It's not just for reporting or data person's business, everybody's business. So it's extremely important.
0: Amazing. And what do you think of the ways that we can improve uh, in terms of data quality in, in healthcare,
3: so people need to uh, be to take ownership is one thing, but it leads to the uh, the question that I will be um, asking is to to make sure that people are the staff are familiar with the systems that they use and also digitize the process. I mean, if you have manual process, it's open to human error. So as it's, it's much automation we can you know, implement, the better, I would say.
2: Stephen, what are your thoughts? I, I think like, for me, I think you've already touched upon it around why data quality is important. I think sort of common sense, kind of people conceptually understand that they need to do things well, but I kind of put a different, sort of lens on it around creating the narrative um, from a sort of population level. Because I think from a receptionist to a clinician, there's different reasons of why they're entering information and making it meaningful. Um, Because rather than the sort of incentive, here's a data quality dashboard, because I haven't done RTT correctly, or my clock stops, or I haven't captured ethnicity. I think it's understanding how that is impacted further downstream Um, So if you look at sort of population health and then you'd say there's a bias based on the data because we haven't captured ethnicity correctly, it almost goes full circle back to the system, going back to Kamiko's point about automation of changing those systems to making them more robust, more prone, less prone to error, but also empowering some staff to understand, you know, maybe why have they not asked a patient their ethnicity at the point of coming to a reception desk maybe they've been intimidated maybe they don't know the dialogue to have with the patient to get that information maybe the patient hasn't disclosed it which all in turn impacts your data quality because you put not known or other so it becomes fairly meaningless further downstream for an analyst so I think sort of you know the ways to improve it goes back to that sort of system, but also working as a whole kind of health ecosystem to say even in social care or primary care, why have we got two ethnicities for the same patient? You know, and having that sort of collaboration and dialogue to say we're doing an in, you know work to improve X, Y, and Z within our system. Have you done any other initiatives that have worked? And doing that sort of collaboration where other organisations have done it well. Um, and hopefully, that in turn reduces having individuals that are just focused on data quality and looking at then the qu- clinical quality, changing that behavior and then improving those kind of desired outcomes to our population. Amazing. Chris, what are your thoughts?
4: In some ways, I think I'm in a fortunate position because I get to go last on this question. Um, so, I think in many ways, uh, everyone's sort of covered the obvious point. So, I have to think about the sort of more weird and wonderful elements. And I think we saw a game there, and I think um, Rumiko's original point about automation is absolutely where you go. I mean, 1.3 million pairs of hands, thats 1.3 potential points of failure, frankly, when it comes to data collection. But I think there are a number of elements. I mean, first and foremost, you've got to remember where the data is collected from. And the data, is, particularly in the acute setting, is collected from the, um, the PAS system, the clinical record. Now, who's creating all of that information um, they're often the people who are most disengaged with actually generating the data in the first place, i.e. they're the they're sort of the caregivers, the um, junior clinicians, and at the end of the day they're not in decision-making positions, they're in operational sort of care decision-making positions, and all they're really focusing, and I don't blame them, is the patient in front of them. So in some ways it's that translation of that ownership, that investment, in the process, but I think that points to automation, but where I was actually going Uh, was more around, how do we actually do the check? How do we do that review? What was the audit process? Because it's all very well and good. We even set up automated processes, but there's still a meta element of how do you know what you think you know? And that real ability to actually cross check what is in the record, what you're actually using, and that ability to compare it against what the actual story was of that care package. So it's not even just the basic stuff of multiple ethnicities or duplicate NHS numbers, or it is actually that ability. And I think one thing that there's an opportunity here with the um, foundation of um, ICBs, it's gonna stem a bit to where my question goes. And the reason I say that is, the more we can uh, rationalize the number of local data sets, i.e. if you've got one patient master data set for a I mean obviously there's a spine but one patient master data set for an ICB for example instead of let's take southeast London just because uh, Stephen I'm seeing you there uh Lewisham and Greenwich will have a local data set guys will have a local data set Kings will have a local data set oxley's has a local data etc 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 suddenly if you have a southeast London one at least within the context of southeast London the 2.5 million people are that are covered there at least the basic demographic stuff should be consistent now again i'm not saying that uh, the story of the care that that individual receives in every single location within southeast london is going to be 100 percent accurate but at least talking about the same person would be a great start And i think it's best we now to go with stephen's question it ties in quite well with this
2: um so how do you identify and improve data quality and how do you prioritize it um amina do you want to go first
1: yes so i think there are there are so many ways you can improve data quality but there are some basic fundamental steps although those are very basic but that can improve data quality significantly and uh, you can start from the very beginning when you design and implement a tool to collect data so that tool needs to be designed and implemented very, very carefully so that it is user friendly. It is simple to use and people can he- record data properly. Often you know, you know, in a healthcare section um, a sector, uh, people uh, record data in very like emergency situation. Sometimes we enter millions of data, so human errors bound to happen. However, we need a system that is simple and easy to use and that prevent some of the basic data quality to happen. I'm talking about very basic things like mandatory fields, having mandatory fields when required, having the formatting proper format for date and time as basic as that, and as well as prompting uh, sort of users to check uh, information before saving it. So some basic steps can improve data quality greatly. And the second step you can do is to implement, uh, or uh, there should be a embedded data quality checking mechanism within the systems. We all know these; most of the systems will have that. But there has to be embedded system, and that system should be used properly as business as usual. So. The system should spit out any data quality issues like incomplete data, inaccurate data, outliers, and there has to be mechanism as part of business as usual so that people check it, review it, and correct it. Investigate and correct it. By correcting it means investigate it, like uh, root cause uh, issue for this issue, and then resolve it. Sometimes, often we we'll in because I work in this area and we see the same data quality issues happening again and again. And often people spot issues when after it is being analyzed and reported. When somebody sees findings and they say, okay, it doesn't look right, then it gets investigated quickly and it is fixed in the report or analysis. It is a very expensive way and inefficient way of dealing data quality, and it doesn't resolve the data quality issues at all. So, What needs to be done, the issues needs to be find out before it is being analyzed, and it has to be part and parcel of business. And when we find, we find a lot of time, 80% of issues are frequent errors. When you find these errors, that needs to be used properly. Why this is happening? Is it there is training issue that you just don't know how to record it correctly? Then you need to address the training. Is it a system issue? The system allow, uh, doesn't allow you to record things properly? Then you need to address that, Where it, whether there is a process issue. Right, so if it is a process issue, you need to address the process and also uh so these are very basic steps you you need to follow and also stephen uh, mentioned a few things there's a greater um, uh, part of it that is like in nhs and healthcare organizations same uh, patients information is recorded in different organizations and different systems within the same organizations and these systems do not talk to each other sometimes and that uh, that uh, that creates a requirement of duplicating data, to combine data to look uh, track the patient journey properly, or to have the holistic uh, picture of a uh, patient or outcome of a patient. So, in order to improve data quality, we need systems that talk to each other interoperability within within same organization and outside uh, the organization and that will not only help us to track patient journey it will also help us to improve data quality significantly and the last thing i would like to mention is a a data-driven culture and by data-driven culture we mean data is used at every level of the organization to make decision. It's not only by director or senior managers, uh, it's by every team. So what do you mean by that? It's like replacing your gut feelings or replacing the way things have been done all this life to change it to use data and evidence to improve things continuously because my role is to ensure data quality and I can design and implement a system that is proactively check and review data continuously and improve it. However, in order to work it properly, you need a data-driven uh, culture and that requires a cultural shift as well.
0: Amazing. ramiko
1: Yeah, I completely, ag- I completely agree with
3: that uh, in, in terms of data-driven culture and people you know i've, I've mentioned it before but you know people need to take ownership and know you know what, what data has impact on every level and um one of the things that happened to me um about, about a decade ago is that when i first started with a trust the first thing that uh, um that happened to me was i was brought into a group of a room full of physicians and they were challenging me why the the reports that my team was um, you know producing were full of errors. And one thing I had to tell them was that you know rubbish in, rubbish out. And and until then they didn't realise what they are what they're part of the 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 raw in this whole process. We've come quite quite far now it's you know everyone are aware how their role impacts the the overall data quality but it's still something that you know um some people do shoot the messenger so to speak and say this is wrong but it it's about ownership taking ownership but also to be aware that um those reports are there feeding back to them and I think um the the area that we do struggle is to re- remove all that frequent errors. And just as Amina said, we, we do need to get back, you know, more frequently to make sure those, where those frequent errors are are occurring and why. I mean, it may not be just an individual's fault, it may be the system issue and all that. I think more effort should be um, spent there, I think, yeah.
4: Thank you. Chris, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think in terms of the prioritisation, I'd appreciate um, Amina said it's everyone's business. And whilst that is true, I think there's a functional reality, which is it's about lighting a fire on the people who have the most to lose, frankly. And that comes from um, executive leadership. These are the people who will live or die by the quality or not of the data that they base their decisions. on. So what you need to do is be getting it onto the agenda of boards and executives So they do take ownership and they understand that here are the consequences or potential consequences of the decisions you're making on the porosity of the data you've been able to use, frankly. Um, I mean, as a junior analyst, uh, when I was doing reports and I still uh, hold on to this day is whenever I do a report, I have a whole load of notes and caveats on the front page, which essentially reads along the lines of if you make a decision on this data on your head, be it, because frankly, it's about as uh, Watertight as Swiss cheese, frankly. And it's just the nature of, I mean, obviously that was a while ago, but the fact of the matter is that the data can be full of holes, but people don't see that. They just see the report and they say, okay, so here's the answer. And you have to spend a lot of time actually saying, well, no, you can't just say that. Yes, I have a a lovely little graph which points to this sort of direction. So you say, well, that must mean here's the answer. But here are the issues with that. And I think that's the fundamental thing is it's about who gets affected by the decisions that are being taken on the basis of the data that's being presented. Once you get that kind of ownership and that recognition, that's when things start to change because obviously that person is very invested in making sure that the data is of sufficient quality that they can make the decision. Stephen, does that answer your question?
2: Yeah, no, I think it does. I think it touches upon it. And I think actually all the other questions feed into the sort of, the theme and I think it will come come out of the other questions as well. So yeah, thank you everyone. Amazing.
0: Ramiko, I think it's best we go next to you.
2: You're on mute. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Sorry, did it again. <laughs> so my question is, how can we improve digital capabilities of non-informatics staff in the NHS and what initiatives, if any, are being implemented in, in the organisation that focus on clinical engagement? Um, So I come from a a technical um, high-tech engineering background and and all those technology and science are my passion. One of the things that I like about um, NHS and healthcare is that it's very human. (laughs) But the the flip side of that is, you know, all all the, some of the, the reports say that healthcare is one of the least digitized industry or sector in in the world and i i did experience that when i moved from engineering sector to healthcare and it was almost like a culture shock to be, um to be honest and i think um that is the um the one of the key things that i i would like to kind of address and what we're doing in our trust is to set up a digital capability or digital champion scheme locally and this is led by our chief nurse information officer so it's not led by me or cio or it it's led by a nurse who's leading the um informatics and we just embarked started embarking on that process and we're not just doing our own stuff there is a digital capability self assessment tool that was developed by uh, health education england and we're using that platform to get staff to come onto the program we initially started with uh, 100 registered and 50 um, staff coming to our first session. What we're doing is we're doing a one-hour session every month for 12 months, and at the end of it, the the staff who completed the process will receive a badge. Now it doesn't really mean externally; it's an internal thing, but it's really important for people, staff, particularly the clinical staff, nursing staff who is one of the the key people who enter the data into the system to get that confidence and also the network that is created throughout through that program and um yeah we're in the the second month of this we have in, uh, invited the shuri network which is the you know um digital network for uh, being female uh names um, to come and uh, speak to us, we are doing getting some other external and internal uh, speakers to engage with us. And hopefully this would lead to also some of the QI programs that's been um, held within the trust as well to monitor and see how that. This champion uh, program has an impact in uh, what, what the out- outcome is for, for the organization.
0: Amazing.
2: Stephen, what are your thoughts? I think it's, it's multifaceted. Um, so we have something similar. So with the CNIO at Lewisham, um, I'm working with uh, on kind of a data literacy programme. Um, for all levels and around nursing, but midwifery, working with our CCIO, who is a gastroenterologist as well, working with the doctors um, and and understanding some of their local needs as well, because it's different professionals have different needs um, in regards to, you know, it goes almost into, Chris, your question around acronyms, because people don't know what informatics is. So when you're saying train non-informatics, there are clinical informatics. There's the people within our information team. So it's quite getting that sort of terminology right for different people is really quite critical. Um, for us. So that's why we're sort of trying to do this kind of digital literacy, working with Health Education England, taking different information from different people. We've got digital champions, but they end up being kind of people that train the people on the system, but may have learned bad habits themselves, which is reinforcing bad practice and bad data. Um, what we've also done around the work I do in population health and one of the driving forces, and it goes back to Chris's point about lighting that fire, because that's got our exec buy-in, and maybe we're looking at a diabetes pathway or you know, COPD and then, or asthma and so on, and then we realise spirometry is a really sort of factor for COPD where patients aren't having it, because then we go back into the data because people put it as a, a comment rather than something structured within their system that we can write um, analytics from to make some informed decisions. So, but they're championing it. So it is coming from the clinical teams because they're now seeing misinformed decisions being made on that data. So they're now more invested in the last couple of years than I've ever seen in my 15 years working in health and social care. And I think there is a much better understanding Um, starting to happen across organisations, around data, and them coming up with different ideas of how to tackle it. Um, And that could be within their own clinical specialties, um, but they are taking a little bit more ownership and a bit more pride, actually, to then help support um, other specialties because they understand this kind of the golden thread of that patient, that longitudinal record, you know, even when a discharge summary is going to primary care, the changes that need to be happened. So I think there's again, it's different approaches for different uh, organisations. So. The acute, there's a sort of internal literacy one within the community. We're doing quite a lot of work with our health visitors, but also then trying to look at technology to empower the patient to improve their own data quality within the records as well. So giving you know the citizen their ownership of what should be right as well. Um, working at that integration layer to try and do some automation, but also then working across the whole system again with population health that people are identifying where there are big data gaps and data quality issues um in short so we are now working at the sort of pathway level and all providers coming together so we've created dashboards of data quality that is important to them so we're creating a self-prioritization list, putting in approaches to try and improve it change it and stop it from happening fundamentally and i think for us the data quality is turning off the tap of those big issues that I mean, sort of said, you know, those eighty percent issues, and I think that's more challenging than people give it credit for, and we haven't nailed it, um, but we are improving it day by day. Amazing, Chris. I mean,
4: I think there's something about yes, obviously we need to be um, building a sort of a data-driven culture. I I also think there is perhaps some recognition about uh, the generational. Um, Changeover. So, yeah, when I was starting out in the health service, yeah, the vast majority of people would have gone to school, used textbooks and notebooks, and it would all been handwritten. I mean, all my exams were still handwritten. But uh, I think we're getting to the point where coming into the workforce now and future going forward, regardless of background, be it clinical, be it administrative, be it operational, be it people expect to be using technology as a matter of course. Now, what that means is that affords us as um, informatics specialists to be able to set business rules of capture systems that using technology make sure that we're getting the stuff we really want. Now, that doesn't mean in any way that we should take our foot off the accelerator and say, yeah, it will take care of itself. What I'm saying is maybe sort of because I've heard this discussion about data driven organizations and cultures, frankly, for the last 12 years I've been in the health service. Um, why hasn't it gone anywhere? It's because there is inertia and resistance to change. But I think the opportunity is coming down the line as you have a population um, that expects to be using uh, technology and digital approaches in terms of. So I think. Um, we're talking the right sort of stuff. Uh, we may not have been necessarily talking it to the right sort of audience and I think that audience is coming in to post um, as we speak. So I think that sort of grassroots level, uh, people entering the workforce now, um, they're seeing the value of it and I mean we wouldn't be able to have this conversation, well we would have this conversation but we wouldn't be doing a podcast frankly even five years ago. Um, we could have all got together in a room but the fact is we are within our different organisations wherever they are um, and able to come together because we're using. So the culture is shifting. Um, and I think that's just the thing to say that as a population, as a society, I think there is now that expectation and actually we should be looking to capitalize upon it. Amina, what are your
1: thoughts? I think most of you covered everything. I was about to uh, I was trying to focus on uh, uh, Chris's point uh, that we are talking about a generation who hasn't been uh, used technology before. And uh, in terms of digital uh, capabilities to non informatic staff, so you those people need to see the benefit of it. Sometimes to see that you need to invest initially because we are talking about all the stuff they are extremely busy with their day to day work for them to see the benefit of uh, this technology and uh, benefit of. Informatics, you need some initial investment and they need to spend some time to see the real benefit. Once that happens, then it will come naturally. But in order for that to happen, as you, I think, uh, Stephen and Rumika mentioned about uh, digital champions who would enable them, help them to understand the benefit of it. But obviously that is probably the approach needs to be taken. However, we need to think differently so that it works we have been trying it for a while uh things are moving there is a cultural shift as uh, chris mentioned but we haven't uh gone to the position where we want to be and things are pretty slow so probably we need to think uh, different ways i don't know i don't have the answer but how we can help people to understand the benefit of it and then it will come naturally after that
2: Stephen, do you want to add something sam Yeah, it's just it's just a reflection on what we've been talking about, actually. So I think one thing that's been quite uh, prominent for me, so I come from a technical background, not a data analytical background. I've kind of fallen into that space, but I've seen actually the workforce in a technical space, they've had to relearn as well. And understand it because they have that sort of here's a project just deliver there's no benefit really not understanding the data side as well so i think over the last few years the sort of Technical, the EPR specialists, or whatever, have come closer to the information department because information was all business intelligence was always finance driven, and I think over in the last few years it's now been clinically focused, looking at those outcomes, and I think it's been done on goodwill and people of interest, and I don't think there's been that upskilling of the workforce, but you know over the last few years things like the Topol Fellowship, the Digital Academy, I think all of these kind of other initiatives. Um, across the health and social care space are kind of bringing that closer together and I still think those need to be sustained for a long period of time forward Um, and I think that sort of education again of technology is quite far behind in the health and care space um, even today Um, and I think that's just one of those things around the education the workforce so I think going back to Chris's point You know some of the graduates that are coming in that from a data science background or even a technology background that have ai machine learning sort of against them or computer science is very different to what i studied 15 years ago so i've had to keep catching up as well but the provision of education and investment in the staff hasn't been there um, and i still think that's quite a way off to then fundamentally still make that shift towards better data within the system Miko, does that answer your question?
3: Yes, and I, I yeah, completely agree. And um, as S- Stephen just mentioned, you know, the education and upskilling of the the staff, the informatics staff or technical staff, is. Um, not have have not been recognised um, until now. And I think it's only now that those recognition is widespread in NHS. So you can see NHS Digital um, opening up all the Microsoft, you know, trainings for free for um, staff and. All those uh, networks, including the AFA that I'm coming to, there's you know, national network of analysts coming together and sharing best practices. It's only now that started happening, and it's it's brilliant, but it's it's really slow. It, it it's slow compared to other sectors. I mean, not just healthcare, but being public health um, sector was um, also um, had an impact. But I think we're in the right direction um it is slow but it's going in the right right direction yeah
2: I, I think it's shown Kamiko when Fed IP have just gone this is the year of the digital professional mm. of 2022 so you know it's taken 15 years to be recognized as a digital professional and to be sort of seen as we are actually helpful
3: yeah <laughs> completely yeah
4: <laughs> Chris should we go to your question yeah absolutely I mean so my question was more again, that fortune position of you'd all submit a question. So I thought, well, what else can I think of and what's a bee in my bonnet? Um, and one thing that always gets me is, yeah, I mean, the clue is in the name NHS. It's already a three letter acronym. Um, and the fact is that you can take almost any combination of three letters and depending upon context, and that's a critical thing, it can mean very radically different thing. Um, now, The context behind why I asked it this way is because I think for me, that's the point, is we can talk about data standards, we can talk about um, getting people engaged, we can talk about systems, but the fact is you need to decide what counts and what language you're going to use. Now there are all sorts of nomenclature standards, there are all sorts of uh, data languages one could apply, Um, but it still comes back to that convert, because this is the thing you've got to remember, healthcare is innately complex. And the data that is captured is, I mean, if we just take acute care, by the time you get to a report that is seen at the national level, it is a a caricature of 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 probably something that actually happened to a patient somewhere. And all through that, process, all through that processing, you are losing richness, you're losing granularity, you're losing proximity. So how on earth can, as we're flowing these reports up into the national centre where decisions are taken about policy, how can that possibly have any bearing on the reality of what's being experienced on the front line by patients, by caregivers? So let's say my question was more sort of from a position of, yeah, different departments, different organisations, different systems, different um, local geographies, come up with their own languages. And I think what we have to recognize is particularly in an age where we're going to be doing not just um, inter-organizational NHS working, we're going to be doing far more inter-agency working with um, the care sector, with third sector, with uh, local government, all sorts of um, bits and pieces. Yeah, what what is our strategy? Because I can guarantee if we just leave it to the center, be it NHS Digital, NHSX, and what they've become in NHS, an interesting improvement, it will just be put on a pile of, it's for them to do. And the reality, that sort of difficult um, way of having those conversations is still going to be in the front line. It's still going to be in uh, the sort of the provider organisations. And we're just going to be saying, oh, it's for them to do. And it's just not going to help. So that's really where my question was coming from, rather than a, just being completely glib. Miko,
0: what are your thoughts?
3: That's a really challenging question I have to <laughs> um, and complex um, but I wonder and I don't have an answer but I, I wonder that this new ICS structure um, is going to play a role there and uh, we my trust covers community services as well and as part of the community service um, we deal with the children's service through the children's service we we provide we deal with local authorities as well because they're the you know lead lead providers and you know the language we use is different um, the culture is different the way you know we deal with the data is different and there's loads of challenging and the systems don't talk to each other they can't access our system but we can't access their system but there are talks the ics is coming in to kind of get all that you know put together I just hope that that would be one solution whether that's going to work or not I don't know it, it's not an answer it's just a <laughs> <tip>. it's, yeah
4: to <laughs> the record I wasn't exactly expecting an answer it was more just to say this is more catharsis <laughs> from my perspective It's just something that as I say, it's a bee in a bonnet I thought it's probably something that's probably in everyone's bonnet somewhere mm. <laughs> Amina what are your thoughts
1: as Rumika said, it's a very complex and it, uh, uh, question and it's a really good one to think about. Um, uh, again, I don't have any answer for it, uh, but what I think, because before joining uh, London Ambulance Service, I worked for local children's safeguarding board, so where I had to work with children's service, uh, uh, children's social care, school, police, health, health at different levels. and. Uh, This has been a like issue to understand the language. And often we spend a lot of time understanding what we are talking about in terms of acronyms and everything, because I developed a a data uh, reporting arrangements uh, for the safeguarding board and which combine data from uh, different um, organizations. Uh, However, I think uh, while working there for three years, Towards the end, when we worked as a board with a multi agency board, we had the common kind of common understanding of each other, and that was just because we worked so closely together. And again, in my current role, I review various systems and reporting arrangements, and when I do carry out the data quality review, my team, the first thing we spent a lot of time understanding all these acronyms and jargons to understand their data and system, what they're reporting on. However, once we worked with them for a while, we have a better understanding. So I think one of the approach we could take is joint working. First of all, Rumiko said, the systems that talk to each other, when you start to join up systems, you need to come up with common language and common uh, uh, acronyms and everything for system to work well. And once you under work together, for example, now we have a better opportunity to work together with uh, these teams and technology, which we didn't have three years ago, even even before pandemic, we weren't working or closely with our other organizations the way we have opportunity to do it now. We may not use it properly, but we have the opportunity to do it. So it's more about, working together and and sharing work, uh, sharing skills, sharing knowledge with each other. For example, we carry out data quality review within London Ambulance Service. We can use the same methodology to carry out data quality review exactly the same way in another organization to find out issues and find out recommendations however we do it for our organization i don't i think uh, for healthcare care organizations there are so much opportunities to work together share our skills share our workforce and so once we start to do that we might be able to address some of those issues Maybe.
2: Stephen, what are your thoughts? Um, Chris, I love and hate this question in equal measure because it's a complete bane of my existence, Um, probably is with everyone. I I think it's a really, you know, so the first thing that came to mind was if you just take different uh, electronic patient record systems, right? Someone would say an attendance, someone would call it a visit, someone call it encounter. And then you go into your your, your clinical side, a care plan. Well, a care plan in social care is different to a care plan within a hospital, which is different to a care plan pathway across, you know, urgent care planning, across community and primary care. So even clinically, without even systems in place, those definitions mean very different things to different individuals and how they're defined. Um, I think what I've tried to do over the time is I end up, um understanding all the, the different terminology and then almost signposting saying, well no, what you're saying over here is the same. So I kind of end up being a bit of a broker and a bit of sort of Wikipedia for these different sort of organizations and suppliers to be able to have the same discussion, um, to understand different points of view and say, actually, no, what you're saying is the same thing, which obviously doesn't fix anything around acronyms. Um if we take, you know, I mean, you work for London Ambulance Service in Lewisham, I've got Lewisham Adult Social Care. They are both called LAS. So when they're talking about LAS, we don't know who we're talking about. So I have to find out what organisation, you know, it's even just in day to day conversation is really challenging. Um, what we try and base it on is obviously, you know, you talk about NHS England, the centre, there's some standards there, there's core information standards. We use that as the framework and a sort of, you know, we know everyone's going to move to that at a period of time. There's different maturity levels across the systems of how they're then adopted, but we still try and use that. We then also have um, a clinical sort of advisory group, but also a sort of a data patient advisory group as well. So we're trying to sort of, it's like peeling an onion. They're all completely talking different languages, but how do we sort of consolidate, aggregate? and make it meaningful for everyone. And, you know, you take analysts, you've got different visualization tools, you've got then different data schemas. So for an analyst, I don't know how you do anything because you're cutting and dicing and then, you know, hence your seven different caricatures of the same thing coming out with a whole different meaning. So it is frustrating. And I don't think there is a silver bullet, but I think standards help some of it it's never going to get away. I think suppliers have a role to play. I think that sort of, again, that collaboration with other people, making that influential decisions about actually this is what we're going to call it, this is the terminology, but an agreed terminology, you know, across the UK, having it only in Southeast London, that may be great, but then you talk to someone in Southwest London, they just look completely baffled because they again call it something else. So I come up, Against this every day of my walking working day, Um, and I think years ago when I was much more far more immature than I am now, um, we used to just make up acronyms in meetings to see if people would call us out, and people were then too intimidated to even ask what that acronym meant. You know, so uh, so I think Chris, it's it's a really yeah I feel your pain, and I don't want to just rant for 15 minutes about it because. If it I'm honest, is of, for me this was catharsis
4: so i actually figured i was going to stimulate someone to just start ranting. i mean the, the reality is i mean I, th- I think there are some strategies we can employ i mean i love it when people talk about interoperability and then yet yeah, we still have um disparate systems which don't talk to each other i mean yeah there are hl7 standards and all sorts of things but for me i think as soon as you get into that many-to-many relationship i mean just everything goes out the window, because I mean, let's even take one of the standard nomenclatures, let's take SNOMED, for example, absolutely brilliant, in many ways, because yeah, you've got set codes for all sorts of concepts, you know, what's the problem with that? It's basically the English language, just with a whole series of number sequences, so you have the ability to create the complexity of what you really want to say in a standard language, but of course, you could just pick any number of different codes, string them together and voila, you've come up with an entirely. But, I
2: think, code. but I think that's that's a really valid point because but then there's perverse incentives. So mm-hmm. with SNOMED, then you'd say within acute care, we get paid more if we put different codes mm-hmm. against it. So there's perverse incentives that have been in, pl- in play in the NHS. So SNOMED's riddled with problems. Oh, absolutely. It just it, it's, it's,
4: it's an example, but it is yeah. it's it's useful. But as as exactly you just elicited there are limitations I mean, one of my favorite things that I try and uh, encourage everyone who read who's as boring a git as I am is go read the data dictionary got if you've got something that's uh, on your mind go look it up because there might well be especially if it's acute care I mean it doesn't really work for anything else but if it's acute care you're talking about go look up in the data dictionary there will be a code and just use that don't come up with something else um but uh, yeah it's it, it definitely let's say it was it was more just um yeah just this is the bee in my bonnet, or one of a number of bees in my bonnet, and I just thought it was just interesting to share with uh, hopefully like minded peers. Amina.
1: I'm glad that Chris mentioned about a data dictionary. This is something we have been trying to promote people to use and you'd be surprised that so many systems would not have proper data dictionary. Properly, somebody developed something when that system was implemented and that dictionary got lost uh, down the line. And uh, this is something, probably something we can get, encourage people to develop for all system and use it. That could be one of the ways, yeah.
0: Amazing. Anyone else wants to add anything? I, could, I think we could go on for for ages around standardization. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I want to say we've had an amazing discussion. Thank you all for, 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 for this past hour. It's, just, it's been absolutely amazing. Thank you for your opinions, for your thoughts. Uh, I've learned quite a lot in the past hour that I, I didn't know before coming to this call. Uh, so again, thanks, thanks everyone for taking part in this and uh, look forward to the next one.
4: Thank you.